From the hallowed hallways of Shed High School, from WSHDLP Eastport, this is Round the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane from Eastport, Maine. Stay tuned for historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in between. We're broadcasting this hour from the busy Kingsley Tax Preparation Service. Man, are we working like banshees! And every time a tax return is filed, you'll hear a ding. 1,000 dings, and you'll hear a bong. And all the CPAs get a cup of hot chocolate. Now, as you can imagine, certified public accountants and our registered tax preparation professionals are working like the dickens during this time of looming deadlines. And to keep up morale, we offer employee karaoke breaks. Who's going to belt one out next? Well, here's Dick Robertson, who plans to sing the 1942 hit, I Paid My Income Tax Today. tax today I'm only one of millions more whose income never was taxed before a tax I'm very glad to pay I'm squared up with the USA you see those bombers in the sky Rockefeller helped to build them so did I I paid my income tax today I paid my income tax today. I'm only one of millions more whose income never was taxed before. A tax I'm very glad to pay. I'm squared up with the USA. You see those bombers in the sky. Rockefeller helped to build and so did I. I paid my income tax today. Today, I'm only one of millions more whose income never was taxed before. A tax I'm very glad to pay. I'm squared up with the USA. You see those bombers in the sky. Rockefeller helped to build them, so did I. I paid my income tax today. Washington the other day, and I'm mighty proud of the reception I got from the political crowd. When I stepped out of the plane, a little delayed, I'll never forget the impression that I made. 
forgot to put up the ladder. Although I was a guest of the president a fortnight ago, I was called right back. You see, when I left the White House the previous weekend, I forgot to make up my bed. Completing my mission, the president asked me to sit down to a confidential dinner with him. This dinner was so confidential that we even blindfolded the finger bowls. And I'm proud to say my table manners were beyond reproach. For instance, I didn't mess my dinner plate with olive pits. When no one was looking, I quietly sneaked them into the cuffs of my trousers. After dinner, the president said, Jimmy, let's get down to business. We got problems and you gotta help us out. He said, I want you to be a dollar a year man. I said, Mr. President, hold on to your hat. Get set for a flash, because here comes my answer. I'll wait for Washington for a dollar a year, but I gotta get paid in advance. They say the dough is safe in Fort Knox, Kentucky. Well, it's safer in the pockets of my pants. I did it once before I pulled them out of a hole. Then they gave me a song and dance. I'm not a mercenary guy, and just to prove my merit, I'll take the half a dollar now, the rest when you can spare it. I'll wait for Washington for a dollar a year, but I gotta get paid in advance. Now, Mr. President, let's face the facts. I worked in Washington for a dollar a year once before, and at that time I wasn't voted out of office, I wasn't impeached, I left Washington on account of the climate. My cocker spaniel developed sinus trouble. Why, after I left Washington, everybody said my service to the country was a total fiasco, but I was too modest to admit it. As always, Congress was arguing pro and con on the problem for seven days, almost a week. And after listening to testimony of vote houses, I gave my decision to wit. A writ of mandamus pro tem for the party of the first part. And for the party of the second part, not involved in the party of the first part, I involved the inject and replevin of international law on the grounds of preacher taught. For the party of the third part, I substituted a habeas corpus. Then I declared a recess for four years. You see, I had to go to law school to find out what I was talking about. I'll wait for Washington for a dollar a year, but I gotta get paid in advance. Yes, I gotta get paid in advance. Welcome back to the Kingsley Tax Preparation Services Home Office. It's all hands on deck. Some accountants have been at it for 18 hours straight. They've broken out the karaoke machine, and we just heard financial consultant. Jimmy Durante give us the 1947 Dollar a Year Man. Before him, we heard Dick Robertson with the cheery, I paid my income tax today, a great little number from the inception of the so-called victory tax, namely 1942. As we wander around the office, you can hear that some tax preparers are using adding machines, well, some use abacuses, and some even use a combination of counting on their fingers and writing on the backs of old envelopes. The boss doesn't care. Just get the old 1040s out the door before the deadline. Another milestone of 1,000 returns sealed, placed lovingly in the mailbag, and tossed into trucks, ready to speed their ways to the post office. Hello, CPA Hamfoot Ham has just completed another return, and is stepping up to the karaoke machine. He will now hold forth with the 1936 
sales tax on it. this morning, but listen, I want to tell everybody, look here, I get up every morning, at the break of day, my baby packs my lunch, and then I'm on my way, it's another day. Make it 
No matter how I try another day But it's another dollar I labor for my baby Baby, goodbye. I'm gonna work for my baby till the day I die. I labor for my baby. Well, that was Cecil Gant bringing home the bacon with a 1948 Another Day, Another Dollar. And speaking of pork barrel spending, before him, Hamfoot Ham gave us the 1936 sales tax on it. We'll be answering a few listener questions this hour during the pandemonium. And here's one that came in. Dear Kingsley Tax Service, I forgot to file my taxes last year and I'm starting to get letters from the IRS. But I've been so busy and now I'm afraid to open my mail from them. The longer I wait, the more terrified I am of what's going to happen. Am I going to go to jail? Signed, Disorganized. Well, we're glad you wrote. Just gather up all the correspondence and bring it on in. The one thing that makes the IRS mad is being ignored. Chances are you owe them some money, but if you don't have the dough, they'll work with you on a payment plan. The folks that wind up in the Huskow are the ones that scoff at the IRS and actively try to get out of paying their taxes. And it looks like senior accountant Slim Gaylord is grabbing the uh, karaoke microphone. What'll it be? The 1952 Taxpayers Blues. March of every year when the income tax man comes around Oh, March of every year When the income tax man comes around I'm always broke, baby And then you let me down Now when I had money, I had friends from miles around. Oh, when I had money, had friends from miles around. Ain't got no money, 
a dime to buy a loaf of bread. But all I can say, I would bet, I would bet, baby. When that income tax man come around, oh yeah, I'm always through, baby. Oh, and no, you let me down. Al Dexter with the 1941 The Money You Spent Was Mine. This was preceded by Taxpayers Blues, interpreted by Slim Gaylord. Here's another listener communication. Dear Kingsley Tax Service, They keep raising my property taxes. Last year I went down to City Hall and asked to speak with the assessor. He said our taxes were high because we have a big house with beautiful flowering bushes along the driveway and a garage in the back. Well, that alleged garage is just a ramshackle old livery barn that 
hasn't been painted in decades, and the door is so rotted it was difficult to even open and close. So I decided to lower our property value by tearing down the so-called garage board by board and hauling it away. Then I proceeded to hack down the beautiful flowering bushes while the wife and kids stood by weeping. This year, our property taxes went up again. I stormed back down to City Hall. This time, the reason for the increase was because of the so-called improvements we had made. Signed, can't win. Well, we're sorry to hear about your frustration, dear letter writer. Unfortunately, we are tax preparers dealing only with income tax, not property tax. However, we can offer you a coupon for assistance with your next filing. And don't forget our famous free refreshments and complimentary organizer for receipts. Or stop in for expert financial counseling. Now, it looks like someone else is stepping up to do some karaoke. They are selecting the 1939 Tennessee Ramblers classic, Don't Put a Tax on the Beautiful Girls. I do without love You can tax my soda And my ginger ale But put a tax on woman And we'll all go to jail What would I do on a beautiful night If I should happen to fall If you're gonna put a tax On beautiful vamps Let me be the guy That runs around with the stamps So don't put a tax On the beautiful girls Or I won't get no loving at all I do without love You can tax my business And all that I own But have a little pity Leave my pleasure alone What would I do on a beautiful night If I should happen to fall What's the use of taking all the joy out of life If it's gonna drive me back to loving my wife So don't put a tax on the beautiful girls Or I won't get no loving at all
Heaven knows that I would live a life of ease. I'd travel everywhere, live just like a millionaire. If money grew on trees, I would find a fortune floating in the breeze. I wouldn't mind working hard, raising money in my own backyard. I'd buy a million dollars worth of flashy clothes. Strut down old Broadway. I wouldn't squeeze a dollar till it hollered. If it hollered, I'd throw it away. I'd live just like a king. On each finger, I would wear a diamond ring. Then life would be a joke. Cause I never would be broke if money grew on trees. You know what? What was that? Buddy? If money grew on trees. Suppose it did. <laughs> boy, huh? I'd live a life of ease. A life of ease. Travel everywhere, you know. On a freight train. No, like all the rest of the millionaires, you know. Oh, I see. Like me, yeah. You know, if money grew on trees. Tell me more, boy. Tell me more. Boy, what? I'd find a fortune floating on the breeze. Floating on the breeze. Yep. I wouldn't mind working hard. No. That is raising the money in my own backyard. Oh, oh, I see what you mean. That ain't no crime, is it? No, it ain't no you crime. You know what, son? What, what? I'd buy myself a million dollars. A million. With a flashy clothes. Top hats and tails. Boy, I'd strut down old Broadway. Ah, Broadway. Broadway. You know what? Uh, I wouldn't squeeze a dollar until uh, it hollered. Yeah. Cause if it hollered, uh -huh. I'd do like Mr. Savoy. What'd he do? Throw it away. My, my! I'd live just like a king. You mean like me? Oh, yeah, yes, boy. I know what you mean, yeah. And on each finger, just like you, yeah. I'd have a good big diamond ring. Let's see, let's see, let's see. That's, that's ten locks, Jack. Life would be a joke. Yeah. Cause I never would be broke. That is. If money grew Investment analyst Jimmy Spring just serenaded us with the 1944 If Money Grew on Trees. Before that, we heard Don't Put a Tax on the Beautiful Girls the 1939 Tennessee Ramblers version. The singer must be one of the temps hired for the rush, because he's not wearing a company name badge. You're listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We are broadcasting today from the Kingsley Tax Preparation Service during this year's mad crush to get everyone's taxes filed by the deadline. Every ding you hear is another 1040 tax return signed, stamped, and tossed into the mailbag. These returns will be rushed downtown so they can be postmarked before midnight. After a thousand dings, you'll hear a gong, and someone will open the window so the staff can kick back for a few minutes of fresh air. Now, senior partner Jacob Jacobs appears to be slowly creeping towards the karaoke machine. 
He's going to sing the 1920 classic War Tax in Yiddish. of things from a frying pan to a wedding ring but I bought a yo-yo on a string and I only had to pay just a dollar down and a dime a day just a dollar down and it's mine and me and my yo-yo top 
goes around and round for a dime a day and a dollar down. Last I climbed the golden stair And I see St. Peter standing there With his long white robe and his silver hair I know just what he'll say Just a dollar down And a dime a day Just a dollar down And we'll let you stay Would you take a chance On old Satan's frown For a dime a day And a dollar down A dollar down that was financial guru Andy Parker with that 1948 classic. He was preceded by senior partner Jacob Jacobs, who gave us an old Yiddish theater number from 1920 called War Tax. And I have CEO Roy Kingsley himself here. Mr. Kingsley, what are some of the more unusual tax deductions you've witnessed during your long career in the tax preparation field? Well, you name it. I can tell you right now, the cost of getting a tattoo is not a medical expense, according to the IRS. One time somebody tried to deduct the cost of their cat food, which triggered an audit, but the, the taxpayer pointed out that the cats were necessary to keep the rats out of their warehouse, and, and the IRS relented. Another unusual one was someone trying to deduct clarinet lessons as a medical expense. Turns out the kid had an agonizing overbite and playing the clarinet helped. So the IRS went along with it. Oh, okay, I see tax preparer Eddie Vinson is leafing through the karaoke book and he is picking up the microphone. So thank you, Mr. Kingsley. And here is the 1947 Luxury Tax Blues. <laughs> Here in place, it's kind of hard on a man. It's 
causing me such aggravation But I do the best I can I'm gonna take a little vacation Going from east to west Make a survey of this nation See who's causing all this mess No, I don't wanna buy it I know where I can get it free But I'll never name the city Cause it might start a big stampede condition and I've got ambition that belongs to you six shirts and collars debts beyond endurance on my life insurance that belongs to you I've got a heart that must be spurting just be certain I'll be true Take my five dollars, take my shirts and collars, take my heart that hollers, everything I've got belongs to you.
That was money expert Smith Ballou with the financially optimistic I've Got $5 from 1931. Before that, the 1947 luxury tax blues brought to us by Eddie Benson. And Ambrose is here. He's just finished another stack of returns and wants to try his hand at the karaoke machine. He has selected the 1931 if they ever had an income tax on love. Other day was payday, I took my darling out. When it came to paying, I knew without a doubt that a dollar ain't a dollar anymore. It won't get you the things it got before. You can see a thing and eye it, but brother, you can't buy it, cause a dollar ain't a dollar anymore. My shoes are worn and holy, my feet are on the ground. I can't get a new pair, I saw the price and found that a dollar ain't a dollar anymore. 
It won't get you the things it got before. You can see a thing and buy it, but brother, you can't buy it, cause a dollar ain't a dollar anymore. I'm working shorter hours, I have more time to play Getting better wages, but still I've got to say That a dollar ain't a dollar anymore It won't get you the things it got before You can see a thing and eye it But brother, you can't buy it Cause a dollar ain't a dollar anymore No matter where you travel, you hear the people talk. Used to be so cheerful, now all they do is squawk. Ain't a dollar, ain't a dollar anymore. It won't get you the things you got before. Now you can see a thing and eye it, but brother, you can't buy it. Cause a dollar ain't a dollar anymore. If I had a million, it sure would be a joke. Of course I'd have the million, but still I would be broke. Cause a dollar ain't a dollar anymore. It won't get you the things it got before. You can see a thing and buy it, but brother you can't buy it. Cause a dollar ain't a dollar anymore. We heard Ambrose sing, If they ever had an income tax on love that song from 1931, then staff economist Denver Darling gave us the 1949 A Dollar Ain't a Dollar Anymore. We are broadcasting from the Kingsley Tax Preparation Service, and it is crunch time here. All certified public accountants, tax preparers, financial gurus, and fiduciaries are in the office working around the clock. Even retired employees have been called back into service. The free snacks are circulating, and we even see some sleeping bags and cots. Let's head over to the customer waiting room, which is crammed with latecomers seeking help with their filing. And whoa, speaking of cots, ma'am, I I see you're sitting there holding up an old mattress. Well, I just wanted to pay in cash. And sir, that's an interesting treasure chest you've hauled in. It's not often we get a customer with one eye, A peg leg and a sword. Well, I just found out that income from illegal sources still has to be declared on your taxes. So I'm coming in to do an amended return. Beautiful. And it looks like senior accountant Sophie Tucker is ready to take a break and belt one out. Here is the 1952 Max from the income tax. Folks, there's a lot of confusion in the world today. But the most confusing thing of all to me are those income tax forms. I can't make head or tail out of them. So I called up an expert, a certain Mr. Sachs. Mr. Sachs, whose name is Max, knows all the facts about income tax. He came up to my apartment so I could tell him all that I earn. But instead of CPA, I noticed his mind was on play. And it wasn't with my tax return. 
because the first thing he said to me was, Sophie, after looking over your form, I see that you've got a lot of assets. So I politely told her, never mind my assets, they've been frozen for years. Just get on with my tax, because I don't like those rackets. And this is what he said when he looked up my upper brackets. I can juggle any figure, if it's smaller, if it's bigger, and your figure shows that every year it grows. I'll make everything deductible, because my system's indestructible. And the government knows that a headliner throws dinners and parties, buys tickets to shows. We'll take everything off. First, we'll start with your clothes. He said, I'll take a little off here. I'll take a little off there. And here and there, we'll take off quite a lot. The way he carried on with me, I couldn't relax. I said, behave yourself, Max. He said, don't be silly, it's socialized tax. I'll take a little off here, I'll take a little off there, until I've seen every item that you've got. I said, now look, Max, it's been 20 years that I've known you. You're no account accountant. Why did I have to phone you? Are you trying to save me money? Are you going to get me double pneumonia? Max, please take care of my income tax. Well, he sat at my house from 4 p.m. until 10, and then at 11, he took out his pen. He said, I'll straighten everything out, and we'll both have a drink. I said, you'll straighten nothing out. Your pen has no ink, because I'm an upright citizen of the good old USA. I've been upright so long, I'm getting to like it that way. Now I'm going to tell you the facts about my federal tax. I'm a gal who wants to pay, and here's another thing, Max. You've been up here for hours, turning my head. First, your pen has no ink. Now you look half dead. Next time you come up, bring a pencil and make sure it's got some lead. Max, don't fix me up with my pen. When all my good luck turns to bad and I am weary, blue and sad, the best friend that I ever had, I've found, is my last dollar. Yes, sir. When all in, down, and out, I feel, and to my pals, I then appeal. Who is it takes me to a meal? <laughs> it's my last dollar. I'm no low-down beggar. Now, don't nobody think that, for instance. No, sir, I'm the honestest man in town. Yes, but those who ain't got nothing can't get nothing. And that's the same true that I've found. Very true. Because the best that I've ever got is sympathy. And I, I find it ain't no use to holler. You Because know, when I'm broke, no one helps me out. But my by old Bill Ward. I showed it through that gambling sport. <laughs> I'd take my daddy to court about my last dollar, and, and that's no dream. I'm no cheap skate, so to say it. Anybody say I'm free, big-hearted man instead. But no hold-up guy, he's got to shoot me dead when it comes down to my last dollar. Nah. 
I don't claim to be no big bad bullet. No, I'm the peacefulest man in town. Any time those I think I'm being cheated, look out, brother, I'm telling you, I am penitentiary bound, and that's all. I don't mind losing. I lose my money fine, square, and I, nobody's ever going to hear me make a holler. But when you think that anybody's going to stand around and just try and bunk on me, no, brother, not out of my last dollar. That was bankruptcy specialist Bert Williams, now stepping down from the Kingsley Tax Preparation Service karaoke machine. He sang the 1920 My Last Dollar. This was preceded by Sophie Tucker's rendition of the 1952 Max from the Income Tax. Now it looks like one of the customers from the waiting room wants to take a crack at the old karaoke. Well, why not? Uh, Mr. Harry McClintock is going to sing the 1928 my last old dollar. Going cause my last old dollar is gone. 
McClintock, the 1928 My Last Old Dollar. And thus we leave the controlled bedlam of the Kingsley Tax Preparation Offices during the Herculean push to meet IRS deadlines this year. All current employees have been joined by their former co-workers, exhumed from retirement for the 24-7 tax jamboree, including free food, occasional power naps, and of course, the Kingsley Karaoke Machine. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. Now let's get the 1944 take on taxes. We have next two radio comedies from 1944, starting with an excerpt from the Fred Allen Show. So let's listen. Gordon, at long last, a stranger just passed in the alley here. At long last, here we are back in Allen's Alley. Now let's see if Senator Bloat is in. <clears throat> yes? Uh, Senator Bloat, what is your reaction to the new income tax return? It's too complicated. Complicated, eh? Can you simplify it, Senator? If my bill, the Bloat bill, goes through, yes. the next income tax blank will ask the taxpayer only three questions. And those three questions are? How much money did you make last year? Yes. How much have you got left? Yes. How fast can you get it out of your pocket? Uh, <laughs> thank you. I don't think this senator will get in the next election, something tells me. Now, let's try next door here. Well, what is it? Mrs. Prawn, did you, uh, did you have any trouble with the new income tax return? My husband's nearsighted. His eyes are bad? He mistook the laundry list for his income tax blank. Really? He sent the laundry list to the income tax office. Yes. He sent his income tax blank out with the laundry. Gosh, what a mix-up. Laundry, income tax, what's the difference? You mean? Either way, he loses his shirt. <laughs> well, March 15th, Mr. Mrs. Braun won't know her husband from Adam. Well, something... <laughs> Something may turn up next door here. Let's see. No. <laughs> ah, Mr. Nussbaum, did you make out your income tax? I am Einstein, maybe. <laughs> well, that, that brings us to the little break front shack at the end of the alley. Now, what can possibly happen here? Let the trumpets blow, don't be aloof. Falstaff's here to raise the roof. Ah, uh, Bard Openshaw, are those more poems peeping out of your cement bag in Vanessa? What else? Have you heard, my girl has a glass eye, I'm nearly nutty. When my girl cries, her tears are puffy. No. Or, uh, said the lighted cigarette to the tray on the shelf, I'm afraid I'm making an ash of myself. <laughs> 
No, I haven't heard that. Or, uh, don't worry, Judge, if Mother looks pale. She's been drinking buttermilk through her veil. Now, wait a minute. Falstaff, you will be the death of me if natural causes don't beat you to it. Tonight, we are examining the new income tax blank. Precisely why I am not elsewhere. You... You... You have written a tax form. What is it called? A fig for the collector of internal revenue. Well, how does it go? A fig for the collector of internal revenue. I'll tell you, sir, what you can do. Your new tax return, sir, you can take with your clauses and instructions and jump in the lake. I refuse to be concerned about Schedule B, losses from fire or other casualties, fiduciary income, charity donations, medical expenses, dependents, if relations, victory tax, surtax, withholding tax too, unpaid balance, notes, and monies due. Item 10, totals, turn to page 3. None of this Hassenpfeffer means anything to me. So a fig for the collector of internal revenue. I've intimated, sir, what you can do. You can examine me, grill me, and sue me, chum. I didn't earn a cent last year. I'm just a happy bum. Thank you, Falstaff. You're listening to WSHDLP Esport. We have just heard Alan's Alley from a 1944 episode of The Fred Allen Show addressing the topic of income tax. We remind you that WSHDLP Esport is a non-commercial station and does not endorse any products. We apologize that we could only present an excerpt due to the deteriorated condition of the recording. And speaking of taxes, we present now another 1944 comedy on this very subject. Here is Duffy's Tavern, in which Archie gets tax advice from Colonel Stupnagel. As a side note, these comedies reference Henry Morgenthau, Jr., who was Secretary of the Treasury under FDR in 1944. Hello, Duffy Stavin. Where do you eat? Mate, date, Archie, the manager's bacon. Duffy ain't here. Hello, Duffy. Uh, tonight, uh, Colonel Stoopnagel. Oh, I wouldn't say that, Duffy. Uh, oh, he's lost weight. Uh, I would, uh, I would describe him more as a big, thin slob. Huh? Crazy? No, he ain't really crazy. I'd uh, uh, describe him more as a wealthy eccentric. <laughs> With no dough. <clears throat> yeah. His inventions? Uh, well, uh, Duffy, he's invented some very good ones. Well, that uh, bathroom door that you don't have to wait outside of. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it opens into a closet. Uh, yeah, and them, uh, them uh, round dice he has. Round dice, you know, for uh, people who would rather play marbles. Uh, <clears throat> Another thing. Hey, Duffy, what's that noise? Mrs. Duffy slugging you with a frying pan because you won't buy her a mink coat? Duffy, you better leave her slug you. A mink could probably set you back about 150 bucks. <laughs> oh, certainly. Even more expensive than rabbit. <laughs> well, uh, that's, I uh, on account of there's uh, more rabbits than minks. Why is that? Uh, well, uh, maybe it's because the rabbit is a fl- friendlier animal. <laughs> Look, Duffy, I'm busy. Uh, Fight it out yourself. I gotta go figure my income tax up. Close your back. Ladies and 
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Duffy's Tavern. Come in and meet Finnegan, Eddie the Waiter, Ben Avenuta, Peter Van Steeden and his orchestra, our special guest tonight, Colonel Lemuel Q. Stoopnagel, and Archie himself, Ed Gardner. See, I gotta figure these taxes. Now, my yearly salary, uh, that's annuities, uh, that's uh, $15 a week, and there's 48 weeks in a year. Uh, Mr. Archie, there's 52 weeks in a year. You're thinking of states. Uh, <coughs> uh, 52 weeks, there's, uh, there's 12 months in a year, right? Right. <coughs> and there's four weeks in a month, right? Right. Well, you multiply four by 12 and you get... You're right, it is 52. <laughs> yeah. yeah, holy cow, 52 weeks. Uh, Except leap year, of course. Then it's uh, 53 weeks. Oh, naturally. Now, let's see. Uh, <clears throat> uh, 15, uh, 15, you times it uh, by 52. That's uh, 630. Uh, shove over the Zypher. Uh, that's, uh, that, uh, makes the fiduciary. Uh, look, let me look at that tax blank a minute, Eddie. Let's see here. It says, uh, see footnote one. Footnote one, see schedule B. Schedule B, see footnote two. Footnote two, see footnote one. Footnote one. <clears throat> if you claim a credit in line 15... Disregard line 19A, complete schedule L1, page 4, instructions, and enter computation in line 19C. I'll ignore that. (laughs) Must be a typographical error. Uh, Now, if I add schedule 1 to the 15... Uh, by the way, Eddie, you want me to help you with your taxes? No, thanks. No, sir. I don't want to bother you, see. You, you got enough work m- making out your own tax wrong. Oh, yeah? <laughs> well, look, Eddie. Uh, you know, I may seem confused internally, but inside, me brain is going clickety-clack, clickety-clack, like a broiler factory. Eddie, <laughs> I'll have you know that when I was at uh, PS4... At PS4, I was the mathematical genius of the school. Yeah. Well, if you stay any place long enough, you're bound to get to the top. Mm. <laughs> right. You should have seen me in them days, Eddie. Me knowledge of mathematics was positively gruesome. <laughs> yeah, I mastered them all. Arithmetic, uh, geometry, adding, uh, plain geometry, fancy geometry, uh, <clears throat> trigonometry, uh, calcium. <laughs> And, uh, Albert, Albert, uh, uh, square group and the cube group and the round group <coughs> and the entire multiplication table up to and including nine times nine. Up to and including nine times nine, huh? Yeah. Uh, how much is nine times nine? Uh, uh now that I think of it, I guess it was just up to, not including. <laughs> Uh, look, uh, let us uh, get back to this blank. Uh, oh, I uh, what are you doing? Uh, me income tax, Finnegan. Uh, did you do yours? Oh, heavens to bet you, yeah. <laughs> uh, thank goodness mine is all completely. Oh, it is completely, huh? Uh, Who filled it out for you? Nobody. I went down to the post office. I waited in line and uh, finally decided to fill it out for me shop. Well, how much was your tax? Uh, Six hundred dollars. 
Finnegan, how could you figure it to come out $600? Well, Archie, I hate to admit this, but I cheated. Oh, you cheated, huh? How? I copied from the guy in front of me. $600, that's crazy. Uh, you think the government should pay me more? Finnegan, the government don't pay you, you pay the government. Is that so? Then why is it so popular? What do you mean? Uh, you should have seen that line at the post office. <laughs> Look, Finnegan, you got to fill out a return. Uh, Tell you what, I'll help you. We'll do it together. After all, you know, uh, one head is better than uh, none. Uh, 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 thanks, uh, Yeah, I demand a recount. Now, look, Finnegan, what was your income last year? Uh, nothing. Uh, nothing, huh? Uh, any dependents? Uh, yeah, me father. He gives me a dollar a week spending money. Dollar a week from your father, yeah, huh? I wonder how we could charge that off. Too bad your father ain't dead. Uh, we could uh, call it an inheritance. Well, that's the break, Sean. Well, let's see now. Uh, how about medicinal expenses? Uh, oh, none of those. Uh, uh, dentifrice? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I got my father teeth for Christmas. Well, you got him teeth. How much uh, did you pay for the teeth? Nothing. I found them. Uh, well, look, uh, all I could do there was they, uh, was they front teeth? Yeah. And you can't deduct them, you know? Father would look horrible. Uh, well, uh, how much could I deduct? Well, let's see now. Uh, your income is zero. Uh, uh, the deductions is zero. Uh, uh, tax to be paid, uh, zero. You mean I make zero, so I got to pay zero? Yeah. That's uh, a crime. It's making a guy pay 100% of his income. <laughs> Put you in the upper brackets. Excuse me. <clears throat> Hello? Hello, Duffy. She's still slugging you with a frying pan? Oh, oh, now it's with the lamp, huh? What happened to the frying pan? They don't make them like they used to, huh? Well, uh, look, Duffy, why don't you buy it a mink coat? You can't afford it because you've got to pay your income tax. Look, with a fat wife like that, you could put a picture on a blank and claim her as four dependents. <laughs> huh? You, uh, you absolutely refuse to buy it. Uh, did she hear you? Hello? Hello? Oh. <laughs> Goodbye, Mrs. Duffy. <laughs> she must have left them have it again. Say, what's going on over at Duffy's, Archie? Well, uh, Duffy is extremely ill. A uh, pounding sensation in his head. Oh, it probably comes from a cold. Isn't it awful what a little cold germ can do? The little germ that's doing it to Duffy weighs 350 pounds. <laughs> Hello, Duffy. What? She left you? Oh, where did she go? Well, what did the note say? Have gone home to my mother. Goodbye forever, you thick-headed cheapskate. Signed, your loving wife. <laughs> uh, oh, Duffy, don't start crying. Oh, Duff, Duffy, don't. Come on. Chin up, old man. <laughs> Duffy, please. Benny, come here, talk to him, cheer him up. Mrs. Duffy has left him, and the guy's really miserable. Oh, Certainly. Hello, Mr. Duffy. This is Benet Venuta. Oh, I'm sorry to hear about it. Uh, 
What? No, I'm busy tonight, you old goat. That Duffy. Go ahead and sing, Benet. That guy with the memory of a frying pan still warm on his brain. Trying to make a date with another pan. Baby, he's left this house. St. Louis woman with her diamond ring. Pulls that man around by her apron string. Twerk for powder. Just as blue as I can be. That man's got a heart like a rock cast in the sea. Elsie wouldn't have gone so far from me. Oh, got the blues, got the blues, got the mean Saint Louis blues. That man's got a heart like a rock cast in the sea. Or else he wouldn't have gone so far from me. Oh, a red-headed woman makes a good man leave this town. I said a red-headed woman makes a good man leave this town. But a bland-headed woman makes a fellow slap his pappy dog. Oh, I love that man like a schoolboy loved his heart. Like a Kentucky colonel loved his rock and roll. And I love that man. I love him till the day I Now, Miss Archie, how you doing with the income tax? Uh, oh, yeah, I gotta get back to that now. Let's see now, uh, let's look at this blank now. Here, uh, I put down the tax that I know that I gotta pay. See, that's the, uh, short tax. <laughs> Wait a minute now, you say that, that's a short tax? Yeah, uh, short tax, S-U-R-T-A-X. Oh, I see. And then uh, to that, you add the short plus. The what? The sure plus. Are you kidding? The word is surplus. <laughs> Anyways, you add the surplus to the sure tax, and uh, then you... Pardon me, may I use your telephone? Oh, just the guy to help me with the taxes, Colonel Stoopnagel. <laughs> I certainly use the phone. Here's the uh, phone, Colonel. Ah, thank you. I'm in an awful rush. Uh-huh. 
Hello, information. I'd like the phone number of Duffy's Tavern. But, Colonel, this is Duffy's Tavern. Oh, really? What's the phone number? Orchard 29970. Thank you. Hello, information. That number is Orchard 29970. You're welcome. In their future, please look it up in your own directory. This guy's a maniac. Well, well, so this is, uh... What's the name of this place again? Zimmerman's Little Hunger. <laughs> Colonel, ain't you a little bit punchy? Well, uh, yes, I think so, too. But most people agree with me. Huh. And not only that, I'm also absent-minded. Oh, you're absent-minded. How did you get that way? Well, you see, as a child, I was very cruel to animals. And one day, I deliberately kicked a horse in the foot with my head. <laughs> well, well, so this is Duffy's Tavern. Yeah, yeah, this is Duffy's Tavern. And how is Mr. Duffy? Oh, okay. And Mr. Tavern? Colonel, <laughs> there is no Mr. Tavern. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, we've all got to go sometime. <laughs> but Mr. Duffy is carrying on, huh? Oh, he certainly is carrying on. His, uh, his wife just left him. Oh, really? I hope they'll be very happy together. <laughs> Incidentally, Archie, speaking of marriage, I have a new invention for newlyweds. No invention for newlyweds? What is it? It's an overhead threshold so that if you marry a heavy woman, you can carry her under it. Oh. What do you think of it? Well, I don't know. To me, it sounds crazy, but, <laughs> but I think it is. Archie, I'm glad to see that you have visions. Colonel Stoopnagel, I believe. Oh, uh, Colonel, a uh, man just uh, stepped out of the audience here, Clifton Finnegan. Uh, <coughs> Finnegan, Finnegan. Uh, were you ever awake by James Joyce? No, no, I have an alarm clock. Uh, Colonel, you confused the guy. Uh, the correct grammar is Finnegan's woke. Uh, <coughs> say it's a verb, not a tense. Uh, Mr. Finnegan, may I say that you are a very intelligent-looking man? Oh, thanks, Kyle. Yes, I'm sure that if you had a forehead, it would be a very high one. <laughs> oh, the, no, Kyle. The, I would rather have a head like yours coming up to a point. Yours comes to a point, too. Yeah, but yours comes to a higher point. Ah, uh, no, yours comes to a higher point. What is this, wait a staple? <laughs> Look, uh, Colonel, uh, I got my income tax to fill out. Income I... tax? Well, that's right down my uppy. <laughs> Archie, would you like to reduce your taxes? Reduce my taxes? Certainly. Then here, take a look at my latest invention. Your invention? Uh, what, what, what do you call it? The Tactual Q Reducer Nagel. The greatest little machine I ever invented. Cut your taxes 80%. Hmm, uh, look, Colonel, uh, not that I doubt your insanity, but, uh, how can a little machine like that reduce your taxes? You doubt me? Let me read you some testimonials. Listen to this one. Mr. Henry Morgenthau, dear sir, since the invention of the reducer nagel, many people have reduced their taxes by 80%. Signed, Colonel Stoopnagel. Let me see that. Hey, you're right. It's addressed to Morgenthau, all right. Yes, Archie, and not only that, the reducer Nagel carries a written guarantee. Written guarantee, huh? Yep, here it is. I, Colonel Stoopnagel, hereby guarantee that if my invention does not reduce your income tax by 80%, sign Colonel Stoopnagel. <laughs> Guy couldn't ask for no more than that, could he? Uh, excuse me. Hello? 
Hello, Duffy. She didn't come back, huh? You're lonesome. Well, sure. Damn, that weighs 350 pounds. Must leave quite a gap in a guy's life. <laughs> hey, hey, wait a minute, Duffy. I got an idea. Colonel Stoopnagel invented a machine that'll knock 80% off your taxes. Huh? Well, so what? All great inventors is nuts. Take Robert Fulton. <laughs> yeah, they call him Bugs. That other guy that invented gravity. <laughs> yeah, they call him Figs Newton. <laughs> Sure. And, uh, look, Duffy, with the, uh, 80% that this machine saves you, you can go out and buy Mrs. Duffy a mink coat and anything else a big, fat heart desires. <laughs> huh? You'll go right out to I.J. Fox? boy, uh, Duffy. Leave your income tax to me and the Colonel. We'll read those. Okay. Uh, Colonel, uh, warm you all up the reducing egg. <laughs> We're gonna do Duffy's tax. <laughs> Enough taxes to buy Mrs. Duffy a mink coat. Now, we got to get it down from uh, 200 bucks to about 50. All right, Archie, let's get to work. What's the weekly income of this joint? Uh, the weekly income? You uh, mean a, a good week or a bad week? An average week. That's a bad week. Uh, oh, I'd say about $30. Uh... Okay, we'll put it on the machine. About $30. Mm-hmm. That's A, B, O, U, T, 30. Colonel, if I didn't see it with my own eyes, I wouldn't believe it. <clears throat> Wait a minute. Here's some more figures, Colonel. Put them on the machine while I answer the phone, huh? Okay. Uh, hello? Uh, hello, Duffy? Huh? You what? You bought the mink, huh? What kind? Cheap mink? I never heard of it. How do you spell it? C-H-I-P. Duffy, that's chipmunk. <laughs> Well, uh, well, she'd probably like the chipmunk, Duffy. Sure. Yeah, that's right. She ain't got no taste. Uh, what? Huh? Oh, the machine is going great. Yeah, doing a great job. I'll call you back. Uh, what happened, Colonel? Tilt. <laughs> but it'll be all right. Uh, well, just see that the tax ain't no more than 50 bucks now. Uh, what do we do now? Well, I've entered all the figures. Now I set the automatic adjustment. I check the barometric pressure. <laughs> and we're all set to go. Take it away, Reducer Nagel. 
there. You'll find your tax total on this little white card. This little card, huh? Yes, read it. You have a pleasant disposition <laughs> and make friends easily. Pass a little extra service. Your tax is on the back. On there the back? Yeah. Oh, oh, on the back. The total? Total income tax, $2,000. Colonel, who invented this machine? You or Morgenthau? Hey, really, I'm embarrassed. This is the first time this has ever happened. You sure? Positive. It's the first time I ever used the machine. <laughs> Let me try it again. There we are. Let's look at a card now. You are a person who loves to travel. Read the other side. Pay the $2,000 or we'll send you to Alcatraz. <laughs> Doop Duffy can't afford to pay $2,000. Archie, you've given me an idea. I hereby renounce the reducer nagel. I hereby christen this machine the Tactual Q Increaser Nagel. Increaser Nagel? Yes. It's to help poor people to get into the higher income tax bracket. Oh. <laughs> but, Colonel, please, Duffy was buying a mink on a strength at $150. We was going to save him on the reducer nagel. What? Oh. Hello? Hello, Duffy. Did you buy the coat? You did, huh? Did she come back? Yeah, huh? And she liked the coat, and, and you're both very happy, huh? You don't know how to thank me, huh? Look, Duffy. If I was to tell you... No, I can't spoil it. Duffy, I hope you and Mrs. Duffy will continue to be happy for many, many years. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't tell it to the guy. They're, they're too happy, you know. I'll, I'll pay the 150 out of my own pocket, huh? You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a 1944 episode of Duffy's Tavern. Now, stay tuned for a 1948 episode of Escape which features a sea captain from Maine and is entitled Habit. Fed up with the everyday grind, tired out from the summer heat, want to get away from it all. We offer you Escape. Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are clinging precariously to a diving, pitching longboat, lashed by mountainous seas in the middle of a hurricane. And at the helm, driving you on, is a man bent on revenge and willing to kill for it. Tonight, we escape to the open sea with an ancient tramp steamer and its fighting captain, as F.R. Buckley told it in his ironic story, Habit. Very well. The court has no more questions. Step down, please. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, I mean, uh, Your Honor. Well, Captain Weatherfield, you've just heard the complaining witness. Have you anything to say in your own defense? Yeah. 
hit the man about a bit. No doubt of that, Jana. In fact, with half chance, I'd have pounded his blasted head off. <laughs> Quiet! Quiet! We'll have order in the court. <clears throat> then you admit the charges, Captain Weatherfield. That I hit him? Eh, yeah. But I had extenuating circumstances, Jana. I see. And what were they? He laughed at my ship. At the Wakelin, Your Honor. As fine a freighter as ever steamed out of here on the Liverpool run. I don't quite he see... He stood there on the wharf. Squint-eyed son of a landlubbered lawyer. He said my ship looked like an old woman. With her dress on backwards. Her hair not combed. That's when I flattened him out. Yes, and I still say that's what she looks like. Order! Why, you confounded oh. little pipsqueak, I'll break your part. Sit him down, yeah. Captain Weatherfield. Grab him, bailiff. Let go of me, confounded, let go of me. Let go of me, I say. Order in the court. Captain Weatherfield. Captain Weatherfield, this court finds you guilty of assault and battery as charged and sentences you to seven days in the new Bristol City Jail. All right, Bailiff. Lock him up. And that's the way it started, with the captain getting seven days in the new Bristol jail. Yeah, but it went a whole lot further before it was over. It was like a bolt of chain lightning that may take a dozen strange turns or more before it finally strikes home. And uh, actually, of course, <laughs> the Wakelin was a funny-looking old scow. She'd had 30 years on the North Atlantic with never a part being replaced so long as there was some way of patching it up. Here, yeah, she was a regular joke of a ship. That is, to everybody except Captain Weatherfield. Yeah, those of us who were officers aboard her had learned a long time before not to hint anything like that to him. No, she was the Queen Mary and the Normandy and his firstborn child all rolled up into one. So you can bet your life we all kept sober faces when the captain finally came aboard at the end of the week. Mr. Connolly? Yes, sir. Well, everything in order? Will we be able to sail in an hour? Yes, sir. I've been keeping her ready for the last four days, just in case... That will do. Might, uh, I'm uh, fully aware that we're four days past schedule. And the reason for it will not be discussed on board. Is that clear? Yes, Captain. I've been badly treated in this town, Mr. Connolly. Thrown behind bars like some thieving dock rat. I don't feel good about it. If it takes me the rest of my life, I'm going to even up the score. Do you understand that? I, uh... I think so. You think so, sir? I, yes, sir. All right. Then button up your collar and go get up ahead of steam. And so three days later, we were plowing through a heavy sea 580 miles out on the Atlantic. The spray was freezing in the rigging. We were flirting with the fringe of a northeast hurricane. This double blasted, confounded wind. Mr. Connolly! In here, Captain. Uh, well, how's she looking, Mr. Connolly? Oh, not so bad. We're taking the seas in our quarter, and so far we're making only about four inches of water an hour. Four inches of water an hour, sir? Yes, sir. Good. Uh, then we'll take a chance on it. We'll take a chance on what, uh, sir? A distress message. 
Just picked it up in the wireless shack. Oh. Here, take a look. Mm -hmm. The freighter Johannes out of New Bristol. Main shaft broken, auxiliaries out of commission, shipping water fast. Latitude 4630, longitude... Yeah, let me see. Yeah, yeah, about 90 miles from us, north and the west. Yeah, that's right, Mr. Connolly. Lay out the course. You what? We should sight her sometime around dawn. If we hold to full speed all night. Full speed? Dead into a hurricane? Why, the wakeland would fall apart in two hours. I sir. doubt it. She's a good ship. Lay out the course. Yeah, but the Johannes is right in the main shipping lane. Somebody else is bound to pick her up before morning anyway. Mr. Connolly, we can hope not. What do you mean, uh, hope not? Evidently, you didn't notice her registry, Mr. Connolly. She's out of New Bristol. Well, what of it? That, as you may recall, is the town that threw me into jail. Gotten all the papers. Like as not, my daughters up in Maine have probably read about it by now. I'll not have them thinking their father's a man who does nothing but go around punching people in the noggin. All right, but what's it got to do with this? I'm going to be alongside the Johannes before anybody else is, Mr. Connolly. I'm going to rescue every man aboard her. Then I'm going to take them back to New Bristol and get a public apology out of that town. And I'll see that that gets in the papers, too. I've never heard of anything so crazy in all my I don't care what I... you've never heard of, Mr. Connolly. Lay out that course now before I get mad. Decide to punch somebody's blasted head off. Well, the little cock of the walk made good the first part of his plan all right. In spite of a broken steam injector that had to be patched up with rigging wire, by shortly after dawn, he had us hove to, half a cable length off from the Johannes. She was down by the stern, listing badly, but still afloat. The wind was howling like a banshee, and the flying spume was freezing all over our decks. There was no doubt but what the next part of our job was going to be a lot tougher than the first time. Mr. Cuddley, you got a boat crew together? Yes, sir. There'll be five seamen and a third mate. I'll take charge myself. Leave the third mate aboard. I'll take charge myself. My show, I'm going to run it. All right, Captain, whatever you say. Well, what's holding this up? Let's get this boat over the side. Clocks are frozen, Captain. Carbon is trying to break it loose. Well, he's not cracking walnuts at a tea party. Here, Chips, give me that mallet. Uh, Mr. Roberts! Yes, sir. You'll stay on board? Yes, sir. Keep an oil slick running. Waves out there. Pretty high. Pretty high? I've never seen him any higher. Well, I can't help it, Mr. Connolly. I've got to... Ah, there, deputy. Both two ready. Ready aboard, sir. All right, then. Lower away. For the seven of us who went overside in the longboat, that command was the beginning of a nightmare. If things had been bad up on the Wakeland's deck, they were a hundred times worse down there in the very midst of that smashing, that tumbling maelstrom of water and wind. A continuous driving spray was torn from the wave crests and froze solid on the gunnels and the boat seats and on our faces. One man bailed constantly while the others pulled away on the oars with bleeding hands. And even then, we were never far from foundering. Captain Weatherfield sat in the stern and shouted orders none of us could hear, but we could see his face, and that was enough to keep us at it. 
with a halo of sheet glass around his sou'wester and his gray beard turned to a frozen mass of jumbled icicles, he looked like Neptune come to life, or maybe even more like, like the devil himself. It took us over two hours before we finally hauled in against the rusty side of the battered old Johannes. Ahoy, the deck! Hey, sir! In what, you? You'll have to jump for it. Can't use a ladder. Sea's too heavy. Understand? Already here. Wait till we come up on a swell. We'll hold as steady as we can. Stand by now. No, not yet. Good, good Lord, he fell on the gun. Blasted fool told him to wait. He smashed in his chest. Why, it's the captain of the ship. Then he had no business jumping fast anyhow. Haul him aboard, Mr. Conley. Get him out of the way. All right. Ready on deck? All right, there. Steady. Now. Good. Stole that man aft there. On deck. Wait this well. Wait, wait. Now. Get him, Cuddly. A blast to see. You on deck. Jump now. Wait. You better help him off there. Here comes another. Catch him, catch him. Pull him in, Cuddly. Good. Back horse, you. Stand by. Pull an aft side there. Here comes another one. Hold her steady. Keep one oar against the side there. Anybody else up there, mister? No. No, sir. Six of us. Others lost overboard last night. All right, then. Back off yours. You there, Polano. Get a hold of that oil. He, he can't do it very well with with only one arm, Captain. What do you mean, one arm? He broke his arm a couple of minutes ago when we bumped the side. Then give him a bucket. At least he can bail. All right, let's go. It was six hours before we finally got back aboard the Wakeland. But we did get back, and I doubt if any other man but Captain Weatherfield could have done it. True enough, he fainted across the engine room hatch once we were on board, but uh, I don't forget. He was 72 years old. He'd taken a crew of six out in an open boat on the high seas in the middle of a hurricane, rescued six more men off a sinking ship, and brought the whole 12 back alive. Well, one of them, of course, was only barely alive, and that was Captain Miller of the Johannes. He was still unconscious. I had him put in a bunk and hoped for the best. And then I turned in to grab a few hours sleep. I guess it was sometime after midnight when the third mate called me. I got dressed, went down, woke up the captain. Confounded, Mr. Connolly. <sighs> Can't a man even close his eyes aboard this ship without somebody rousing him out of his bunk? I'm sorry, Captain. Thought you ought to know. Uh, uh, Miller's conscious now. Wants to see you. He thinks he's he's dying. Dying, is it? Yeah. I'll see about that. Where's my pants? Uh, uh, here you are, sir. Uh, thank you. Yeah, might be a good thing if Miller did die, uh, according to his first mate, Larson. Huh? Well, Larson says they uh, they had plenty of warning of this storm, but Miller drove straight on into it. He was racing for port. Oh, racing for port. Yeah. Bad business. There'll be an inquiry on it. 
He'll lose his ticket when they find out. It's also bad business, Mr. Connolly, when first mates talk out of turn. Come on. Where is he? I put him in the cabin off the wardroom. The third mate's in there with him now. Mm-hmm. How is the ship heading? Due south. Due south? Well, we're running before the wind. Can't do anything else. I told you, Mr. Connolly, to lay a course for New Bristol. I know, but we can't do it. The main boiler's out, and we're on the auxiliaries. It may take two days to fix it. Ah, confound the luck. Risk my life to rescue a man. Tries to die on me. Now that bonehead engineer's let the main boiler break down. That's ah, not his fault. It should have been replaced five years ago. Five years ago? What, Mr. Connolly? Five years ago, sir. Good. Well, here we are. Oh, glad you got here, sir. I was getting worried. Yeah, it's all right, Mr. Roberts. Here, stand back a bit to hold the light up. Yes. There, that's fine. Evening, Captain Miller. Evening, Captain... You're in some pain, I take it? Yeah. Feels like something sharp. Stick in my chest. Getting worse. Hmm. Something sharp, eh? Yeah. No doubt the broken end of a rib poking into your lungs. Yeah. 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 Guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Feels like there's a rib gone. Yeah. Oh. Uh. Well... I want to make a statement of a log. Oh, I do. I figure you're getting ready to die, is that it? Yeah. Not much chance. Shouldn't I? Shouldn't I jump first? No, you shouldn't have. Understand you was racing for pot. Drove straight into the storm. Yeah. I had to. It's my wife. Her first baby. I wanted to be with her. What's he saying, sir? Wife's thinking of having a baby, Roberts. Oh. Statement. Responsibility. We'll discuss that later, Captain. <laughs> that lung gets a hole punched in it. You're done for. He's practically done for now. You know, Mr. Connolly, I saw a doctor open up a man once and take a broken rib out of him. I think I can remember fairly well how he went about it. And there ought to be some chloroform on board. Captain, Captain Weathers. You shut up, Mr. Connolly. Uh, Captain Miller, it's one chance in a million. But you've got no chance now. How about it? Anything. Doesn't matter. Be an inquiry, boy. Better to die. Well, we'll worry about that later. All right, then. Go find that chloroform, Mr. Roberts. Yes, sir. And bring me a bar of soap. Yes, sir. And get a couple of them little knives, uh, whatever they call them, out of the medicine locker. Yes, sir, right away. Uh, Mr. Connolly, go wake up that first mate of his. Get him in here. We'll need a witness to Captain Miller's consent. All right, sir. And Mr. Connolly. Yes, sir. Find chips and borrow his chest of tools. Never can tell what you'll find when you start to open a man up. In ten minutes, we had everything ready. Larson signed a statement swearing that Captain Miller had agreed to it. And the third mate, with his face white as a sheet, stood at the head of the bunk, dripping chloroform under a towel and holding it over Miller's nose and mouth. I held the light in one hand and kept the other on the patient's pulse while Captain Weatherfield rolled up his sleeves and started in on a major operation that he thought he'd seen some doctor perform once. Yeah. 
everything snug and proper. How's he seem to be getting along, Mr. Connolly? Uh, I don't know. He's still breathing. I know he's breathing, man. It's his chest I'm operating on. How's his pulse? And pretty weak. Uh, no worse than it was. Hmm. Keep that chloroform dripping, Mr. Roberts. Yes, sir. Well? Uh, there's no time like the present. Oh. Oh. oh! Hold that light steady, Mr. Connolly. Yes, sir. Steady yourself. Huh. Now, let me see. I think that doctor did it like, like this. Hmm? I've used up half the chloroform, Captain. Keep it dripping, Roberts. Hmm. Well, well now. Don't remember anything like that being in there. Let's see now. Uh, pulse is getting pretty weak. Mr. Connolly, don't bother me. I've got more important things here to think about. Mm-hmm. That's it. Here's the end of the rib, all right. Now, if I can uh, just... That's all right, let it go. Don't need the knife anymore. Confound it, Connolly. Give me a little more room to work in. Cabin's small enough stairs. Captain, his pulse has stopped. No, it hasn't, Mr. Connolly. Now, now why the devil doesn't that rib come loose when I... It's no use, Captain. He, he's dead. His heart stopped beating. Mr. Connolly, don't stand there. Try to tell me his heart stopped when I can see it beating right now. Mr. Larson. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, would you look at that tool chest behind you? See if you can find me a pair of pliers. I doubt if there's ever been another operation like it before or since. By all rights, Captain Miller should have died ten times over, right there on the bunk. Only he, uh, he didn't. He was unconscious for 48 hours, but on the fifth day, he was sitting up on a deck chair and cussing because somebody had slung his broken rib overboard instead of saving it so he could whittle out a letter opener. We were driven 600 miles to the south before the storm blew itself out and we got the main boiler back into operation and could lay a course for New Bristol. And three days away from port, Captain Weatherfield called all of us officers of the Wakeland together in the chart room, along with First Mate Larson of the Johannes. Gentlemen, <coughs> there may be some questions in your minds in regard to what this meeting is all about. No doubt you're wondering, even if you aren't asking. Am I right? Well, yes, sir. We have been trying to guess. Then I'll tell you, gentlemen. <coughs> I called this meeting to put a stop to certain idle rumors which I hear have been floating around. Uh, just what kind of rumors, Captain Weatherfield? Them which says that Captain Miller, of late ship Johannes, deliberately drove head-on into a storm while racing to make port. <laughs> There's no rumor about that. It's what he was doing. As his first mate, I should know. And I say he wasn't, Mr. Larson. <clears throat> the way I figure it, got caught by the storm without any warning. He gave orders for full speed to try to beat out of it. A couple of hours later, main shaft broke left him helpless without steerageway. Could happen to anybody. Maybe. Only it didn't. I was there, Captain Weatherfield. I know what happened. And there's five of my crew left to back me up. They'll back up anything you say, Mr. Larson. You know that. And there's nothing to talk about. When the Board of Inquiry gets through with Miller, he won't command another ship as long as he lives. So, 
there's not going to be any board of inquiry. Ah? Uh, maybe that's not up to you. Which is what we're here to decide. I don't get it, Captain. Miller's a rat. He was the first one to jump when we come alongside. Anything that happens to him serves him right. Now, why should you stick up for him? My personal opinion of the man has nothing to do with this, Mr. Connolly. I say there'll be no board of inquiry because it suits my purposes that there be none. And uh, just what are your purposes, Captain? I drove my ship 90 miles off her course in a hurricane, risked my life in an open boat, just for one reason, Mr. Larson. Because I knew you were registered out of New Bristol. Oh, so that's it. Aye, Mr. Connolly, that's it. I operated on a man, saved his life, just so he could stand up alongside of me, have our pictures taken for the newspapers. <laughs> I get it. So, you don't want some messy board of inquiry throwing scandal in the story of your noble rescue on the high sea, eh? You want to be a blasted hero. Mr. Larson, being a hero has got nothing to do with it. But I am planning to get a public apology out of the town of New Bristol. And you, or nobody else, is going to do anything to stop me. Yeah, well, it's too bad you haven't got the whole say about it, Captain. And it's too bad you're so bullheaded, sit on swearing away your captain's ticket that you force me to teach you a lesson. And just how are you aiming to do that? By knocking a little sense into your thick noggin, something like this. Uh, uh, oh. So it's a fight you're after. All right. Come on, Captain. Teach me a lesson. All right. I'll teach you a right. You got it, Captain. Get up, Mr. Larson. Uh, I'll... Get up, all right. Look up. He's got a pair Watch of dividers. So oh, you yeah. tried to stab him, would you? Well, Larson, uh, what about it? All right. All right, I, I'm through. They're going to be a board of inquiry? No, no. I'll, I'll back up anything you say. Good. What about the rest of you? Anything I say go? Yes, yeah, sure does. All right, then. Get back on watch. What do you think this is, a peaceful harbor of a Sunday? It was a clear, sunshiny day when we steamed into New Bristol Harbor and dropped anchor at the mouth of the river. Captain Weatherfield sent Miller on ashore quarantine. <laughs> insisting that his reason was not just to make sure of having a reception ready. Nonetheless, he spent an hour and a half shaving, trimming his hair, and dressing up in his best shore-going clothes. Uh, but he had a right to strut a little at that. Eh, he'd moved through a whole series of tough jobs, every one against almost impossible odds, and he'd come out on top. And all because he wanted his daughters up in Maine to know he could do something once in a while besides punch people in the noggin. It was mid-afternoon by the time we finally rowed ashore in the long boat and a good-sized crowd had assembled on the wharf. And when we got in close, we could see Captain Miller waiting by the landing along with a, a regular reception committee, all dressed up in striped pants and top hats like a a bunch of foreign diplomats. And the head man of the whole layout was the same judge who'd given the captain seven days in jail. Easy now, Mr. Connolly. Here. I'll hold us steady, sir. Thank you. Here we are now. Okay, right, go. Now. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, there we go. Here we are. Well, welcome, Captain. 
Mr. Weatherfield, on behalf of the town of New Bristol. Well, now, it's mighty nice of you, Judge. Not at all, Captain. We're the ones who are honoured. The whole town, and we want you to know it. Well, uh, thank you, Judge. Captain Miller here has given us the complete story. The rescue at sea, the daring operation that saved his life. Uh, here, here. How you feeling, Captain Miller? Mm, a little tired right now, Captain. Been pretty busy arranging things, you know. Uh, here, here, of course. You're a hero in this town, Captain Weatherfield. There's nothing too good for you. We're proud of you. I was wondering if you'd recall a little incident where we met before, Judge, uh, not so long ago. A terrible mistake. I'll never forgive myself. I feel I owe you a public apology, Captain Weatherfield. Well, now, don't believe I know just what to say, Judge. <laughs> Nothing at all to say, Captain Weatherfield. As I said before, we're the ones who are honoured. The whole town of New Bristol. And all of New England, too, by Jove. Once those reporters get their stories on the wire. Mm. <coughs> reporters, eh? Well, now, that's going to too much trouble, Judge. Oh, not at all, <laughs> Captain, not at all. They'll be wanting an interview with you, you know. We've had quite a time keeping them off this long. You're a hero, man. Don't you realize that? I only did my duty, Judge. The mm. New Bristol needs more men who only do their duty, Captain Weatherfield. Mighty nice of you to say so. When I recall the way you were treated here a few weeks ago, Captain, well, all I can do is to ask your forgiveness publicly. I suspect that might be arranged, Judge. I'm not a man bear a grudge. A fact which your actions have proven, sir. Mm. Uh, them there fellows with the cameras, are they reporters, well, are they? Oh, yes. Yes, indeed, Captain. Well, of course, they're photographers, really. They're taking them pictures to print in the newspapers, are they? That's right, Captain. They'll be seen by people all over the country. Hey. Mm -hmm. I suppose we might walk over that way? Certainly, Captain Weatherfield. Certainly, anything you like. Won't you join us, Captain Miller? Thanks, gentlemen. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking, if they print a picture of that ship out there, nobody will believe the story. What did you say, Captain Miller? I said they wouldn't believe it. To look at that old mud sky, you wouldn't think she could float in a calm sea, much less... Uh, Good field. heavens, he struck the man. I'll teach you to call my ship a mud scar. Oh. Squint-eyed son of a five-legged salamander. Stop, I say. Stop, aren't you? Stop it. Stop it. Constable. Constable. Arrest that man and look him up. I'm filing the charge of assault and battery. Escape, produced and directed by Norman MacDonald, tonight brought you Habit by F.R. Buckley, adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield, with editorial supervision by John Dunkel. Featured in tonight's cast were John Daner as Mr. McConley and Louis Van Rooten as Captain Weatherfield, with Wilms Herbert as Captain Miller, Barry Kroger as the judge, and Bill Boucher as First Mate Larson. Special music by Ivan Dittmars. <laughs> listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a 1948 episode of Escape, titled Habit.
Money Blues, Joseph C. Smith and his orchestra from 1916. Thank you, dear friends. This concludes today's show. On behalf of Around the World's staff of researchers, recording engineers, interns, and Victrola technicians, this is Cracklin' Jane. Thank you, and see you next week. For Jazz Potpourri, airing Wednesdays from 2.30 to 4.30 p.m., with a repeat on Saturdays from 4 to 6 p.m. From divas to crooners, from the streets of New Orleans to the clubs of Paris, with a little Latin added for spice, Jazz Potpourri is an auditory mix for your listening pleasure. Join me Wednesdays and Saturdays on 93.3 FM, WSHD LP, Eastport. Hey, have I got a radio show for you. Old Coasting comes at you twice a week. Thursday at 8, Sunday at 4. Right here on WSHDLP in Eastport, Maine, 93.3 FM. On Bold Coasting, we don't just play the music. Uh, we like to talk about it a little bit, too. It's music and commentary. It's a radio show with liner notes. You kids can ask your parents what that means. Every Saturday night at 7 and again on Tuesdays at 8 for Philly Joe Remarkable's Mad Pad right here on WSHDLP Eastport, Maine, 93.3 on your FM dial. Man, take this crazy pad. Man, it's a mad pad. Listening to WSHDLP Eastport, broadcasting from the hallowed hallways of Shed High School. Tune in Mondays 4 to 6 p.m. for Around the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane, featuring historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world, plus radio dramas from the golden age of radio. If you miss the show, don't despair. There's a repeat broadcast on Fridays, 6 to 8 p.m., and if you miss that, just go to www.cracklinjane.com and download or stream the show at your leisure. Come on by Sam's Caffeine Cafe every Tuesday and Thursday morning from 8 until 10 a.m. I'm Sam, the proprietor. I keep all the tables clean. There are no sesame seeds on the floor, no schmutz from the night before, just good music. The first hour, a little bit softer, some Americana, folk, blues, a little bit of jazz, but by 9 o'clock, we are amped up on caffeine. We're playing up-tempo music all hour long. It's a grab bag. It's a fun place to hang out, and we would love to have you. We would. Please come by 93.3 WSHDLP, 
Eastport.